talking apologetics today, and um, this is obviously a dense topic. Tyler's shuffling his papers, uh, getting ready there. Yeah, that seems like it, it seems like you're busy and bit of an intro sound there. But. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, but uh, yeah, on the podcast today we have Jeff Morris, and um, he's gonna he's gonna talk to us about apologetics. We're gonna ask him some questions, kind of define the field, go through a lot of different. Um, different ideas within the area of apologetics but yeah. maybe first off jeff just to get you to introduce yourself who you are where you're from and um, yeah maybe what got you interested in this uh topic yeah thanks guys and i thank you very much for having me on your show to talk about some of this stuff today it's great uh, i'm from hamilton i go to streetlight christian church in downtown hamilton and i got interested in apologetics a few years ago just as an interest for myself uh, as a as a christian as a thinking christian and um, probably five years ago and, and gotten a little bit enamored by it uh, since then, I've started going to school, so I now have a certificate, a grad certificate in apologetics from Biola University in California, and I'm currently working on a Master's of Theological Study at Tyndale University in Toronto, which I will be completed uh, very shortly. Cool. Very cool, man. Yeah. Awesome. And so I think in this episode, our plan is, and this, you know, it's pretty some dense stuff, so we're, uh, we'll do our best to kind of work through it and not get too into the weeds, as we like to say, but we, we want to kind of treat this as like an apologetics 101 sort of uh, course type episode. So maybe, uh, yeah, if you could, if you could kind of just give us your, your thoughts first, how would you define apologetics? Would you say Jeff? Yeah. So Christian apologetics is a theoretical discipline, I would say, first of all, and it's about coming up with rational justification for Christian truth claims. Okay. So, and a truth claim would be something which is true that corresponds with reality. So you, you could say, for example, that uh, Tyler has a nice truck, uh, but if it doesn't own a nice truck, then that's not true. Uh, but if he does own a nice truck, then it is true. Hmm. So hmm. truth is something which corresponds with actual reality. Gotcha. And how does evangelism play into that? Are they in conflict? Are they Do they work together? How do you see those two things? Yeah. No, I mean, they, they totally work together. Um, so the theoretical discipline is going to come up with content, essentially, for the evangelist who's going. That's more of the practical outworking of apologetics. Right. Yeah. So the apologetics is a... Th- as a discipline is, is more theoretical. Um, is that, is that, is that fair to say? And, and the, the evangelism, the, the things that we're faced at with as, as Christians every day is more, uh, practical, um, real life type, um, situations. Right. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to come up with apologetics content, I think we'll get into that a little bit as we get a little bit deeper into this, but to come up with apologetics content is, you could think of it as a theoretical discipline, and then that content gets used in evangelical or uh, um, evangelistic. But, but it's for more than that as well. Um, but yeah, the content that gets made from the theoretical side ends up having a lot of practical uses. Right. For sure. Yeah, for so sure. it's not necessarily about you know this guy says this, and then I say that, and I respond just the right way. Uh, you know, it's it's far more than that. It's it's thinking through and offering truly justified rationality for what we believe as Christians. Right. And thinking that through, making sure um, you're crossing your T's and dotting your I's, but then that gets used in a variety of different ways. Right. Right. And so, I mean, obviously evangelism is is a calling of every Christian, um, but people might not think of apologetics as a calling for, for them. It's It can kind of seem kind of headsy, kind of theoretical, obviously very challenging. There's mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of depth to the field and there's a lot of good argumentation um, from the other side in terms of. Um, well, maybe you would say good, but there's a fair, uh, a fair amount of substantial arguments to be made against the idea of God and against Christianity. So that might scare some people. But is there any sort of um, biblical um, 
proof or biblical um, rationale for pursuing the field of apologetics. How do you see that? Yeah, so I think that there's a lot of biblical justification for apologetics work. Mm -hmm. And um, a few examples. I mean, any any passage you can think of on evangelism is one example. Sure. Okay. Um, but so a couple examples. 1 Timothy 2 is that God desires for all men to be saved. Um, so we need to go and we need to craft an argument for everybody, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's uh, for the low or for the, the academic. Um, so God wants for the gospel to reach out everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but then we also know from Matthew that we are called to make disciples of all nations. Um, so we've got these different ev evangelical reasons why we want to do apologetics. Uh, but then there's also a lot of very clear examples in the Bible of the apostles arguing mm -hmm. uh, for the, tr the truth of Christianity. So yeah. we have Paul in a couple of examples. He's in Thessalonica for three weeks, uh, and he is every week going up to the synagogue, and he's arguing for the Christian faith. We have him in Athens. Uh, we have him in Corinth, and every week he's going and arguing for the Christian faith. We have him in Ephesus for three months in the synagogues, arguing for the Christian faith. They kick him out, so he goes to this hall uh, and spends two years there, arguing for the oh, Christian would, faith. Would that be uh, Tyrannus Hall? Yes, that's yes, right. Sir, there we go. The Hall of Tyrannus. Yes. Yes. And he argues. He's arguing <laughs> yep. for the gospel, right? He's not um, just uh, assuming people are going to pick up on this. He's trying to make a case mm. for Christianity, and that's what he's going around and doing. Yeah. And it even says, it says reasoning, right? And those you know, that kind of hit me as, I, I just thought, okay, reasoning, like, yeah, and he's like, he's doing what you would typically do in, in a kind of uh, evangelism type setting. But then when I started thinking about apologetics, I was thinking these people really didn't have a grasp of what Christianity was because they were, they were, they were in that time when like Judaism and like, you know, you were a Jew. So, or even you were a Greek and you, you had these different conflicting uh, views of the, of the world. And he was coming with a totally new uh, way to look at it and, and you know, the truth. And so he's doing something very similar to what we would classically think like people, you know, are doing evangelism now was like, he was actually reasoning like, um, and, and using probably some of these tactics that we we're going to end up talking about. So yeah, that I was think really absolutely. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. a lot of the church fathers too, which we'll talk about, yeah. use these tactics. And there's a lot of worldviews at the time. And Christianity is one of the worldviews that are available to these people. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you have, you're exactly right. And Paul is going around competing with these worldviews yeah. and he's winning people over. So even uh, you find in Athens, he comes to the philosophers and the philosophers who are in the history books, whose writings are preserved, mm -hmm. he yeah. runs into them. And they say, what's this babbler talking about? And he yeah. wins a couple people over through his proclaiming of the gospel and the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, that's really so cool. So he, yeah. he makes a case and he argues for it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty, really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, go ahead. I was going to say, like, do you think, um, like, looking at the example of Paul and the other apostles, is apologetics primarily for winning people over to the gospel? Or is it more so for uh, strengthening the faith of those who already believe? Yeah, super awesome question. I think there's th at least three good reasons to do apologetics. And those two are definitely at the top of the list. But there's a third one as well that we should maybe throw out there first. Okay. And that's just shaping culture in general. So just mm. in, in the West where we are, we need solid Christians who are coming up with good apologetic work mm -hmm. and reasons to believe in Christianity because we all are in our culture, right? It's like we're in a fishbowl and we can't escape our culture. We're here. And so as Christians, it's good for us to affect that culture. And that way... When somebody hears about Christian truth claims, it's not some crazy thing that makes no sense. Ah, that was proved to be irrational. That's that's proved to be old-fashioned years ago, 200 years ago mm -hmm. uh, with the Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't want to believe that. 
Now, if we have Christians who are working on this stuff, then you're going to have content that's just out there. It's on YouTube. Uh, yeah. It's in the academy. It's accessible. And Christianity stays alive and well as a possibility for, for people to hold on to. Yeah, that's, and then I think uh, you're, you have two other options as well, which is the idea that the believer also benefits. Yep. Um, so just coming to realize that your faith is rational. Mm-hmm. That for me has been very exciting. Um, you know, I think as a Christian, there's no real defeater that could have, uh, by the time I waded into some of these things, defeated my faith. I, I wasn't searching for answers and, and wanting to know more. I was sound in my faith, but I was curious. Mm. Why this? Well, what's with the problem of evil? Or what's with um, cosmology? What do people think of creation and where we came from? And so yeah. finding answers to this and figuring out that this is totally rational. Our faith makes perfect sense. Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. just believe it blindly. Yeah. Uh, it's a rational faith. It was very exciting as a believer and it's empowering as a believer as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So <clears throat> I'm just thinking about that, that um, not necessarily transition, but when you, you say you believed it and then you went and and tried to find the knowledge or the rationale behind behind it and not to disprove it, but to kind of bolster your face. How, how important do you think that is? Like, I know Jesus said, you know, we should have childlike faith. And that that's one thing that's kind of struck me as I've been like reading up on this stuff and stuff. And part of that's just like, should we just bl- not blindly accept, but as a child, just say, hey, like it says in the Bible, I know that it's true. And there, there are reasons why I, I know like, there's reasons for my belief, but I don't necessarily know that those reasons are like, you know, so fortified that they're rational and they're, you know, very technically logical. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is it for people to seek out the knowledge side of it where, you know, or the rational side of it, which is the apologetics, the arguments? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it is important. I mean, I, you're, I don't think that the two are in conflict at all with each other. So to have a childlike faith doesn't mean to stick your head in the sand. Right. Right. It doesn't mean to be ignorant about what's going on around you. It means to accept with childlike faith. Um, you know, we're going to talk more about why do we believe in Christianity, right? Do we believe in it because of evidence? Well, I'm not sure that's the case, and we'll talk about that. But if the evidence is presenting itself, then we should believe it with childlike faith. Right. Um, but we shouldn't ignore the evidence. We should certainly think about it. And I think God wants us to use our minds, right? He wants mm-hmm. us to think about why do I believe what I believe? And in doing so, because it's true, we're going to be more confident in our faith. Right. And that way, when we run across an idea or we're raising our kids or uh, we're in university and people are, are badgering us with these, all these ideas, we can be a light and a confident light mm. because we have reasons for our faith. Right, so yeah. I don't think everybody has to, you know, investigate everything and figure out all kinds of logical proofs and all that. But I do think it's wise for people to have an idea of what's going on, why the faith is rational and, and not, not yeah. to be afraid to investigate those things. Yeah, no, that's yeah. yeah, cool. That's a good answer because... Uh, yeah, just in the research, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about planting it. But he's he came up with a a bit of a a line of argument that you don't really need to be able to bolster your faith with um, with all these rational arguments for it to be rational. And yes. I thought that was a that's really in the weeds, I guess. But it's no, just something that really fascinated, fascinated me and gripped me. And I was yes, kind of thinking like that's that's like a, where the childlike faith kind of meets the rationality of of it. But mm-hmm. I can also see it that that. Even diving into this, um, you would struggle a little bit once you're in there or in into some of these arguments um, that you're you're trusting. You have to be careful not to trust in the arguments themselves, and then and to still have that childlike faith. 
So I feel like yes, maybe it's something just to absolutely. keep in mind while we frame this, you know. Yes, this, I agree. And I, and I think we'll talk about it more when we talk about knowing Christianity and showing Christianity and what mm. those differences are. Because all of these arguments fail to be 100% foolproof. Right. I mean, you, 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 there's just a way to poke a hole in every philosophical argument. Mm -hmm. um, so we can't ever pin our faith necessarily on it. Right. But but again, when we talk about planning, we'll talk about why. Why is that? And and there's good reasons to think that we don't have to pin our faith on arguments. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. I, yeah thought cool. it, I thought it was cool earlier. Uh, you mentioned on your answer in terms of the reasons why we we care about apologetics and do mm -hmm. it. Um, the, that cultural side of it, too, that seems to uh, that resonates with me as like a reformed Christian. That seems like a, an act of redeeming culture in terms of like transforming the cultural milieu and, and, and making Christianity a plausible, plausible uh yeah, faith or plausible way of, of living. So yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. And it's not just uh, confined to an academic venture. It's actually uh, like it's for everybody. It's for the lay people, as, as it were. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that uh, evangelism is a huge, which we didn't really touch on too much, third reason. So shaping culture, personal faith. And you did kind of mention it earlier, evangelism yeah. evangelism as well. Yeah, totally. And, yeah, making sure there's materials out there for people that who have questions and just don't know. And there's materials that people have worked on and people can come and see, oh, yeah, this is rational. This makes mm -hmm. sense. Christianity is so, an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you're doing the apologetics and, and, you, and you're making arguments with different people, do you find a more offensive, and I don't mean like offensive isn't like I've offended you as an offensive as in, you know, going on the offensive and, and making no, a, a positive case <laughs> yeah. As, yeah, as compared to defensive. Is there, um, yeah, is there, is there warrant in, in both of those? Is there... Um, yeah, are there pros and cons, I suppose, maybe? Yeah, so there's, if we want to talk about sort of the different types of apologetics, there is a defensive and an offensive type of apologetics. So an offensive is, I think, mostly what you guys wanted to focus on tonight, and that's giving positive reasons to believe in God. Mm -hmm. So there's a positive reason for God's existence. But then defensive apologetics is equally as important from a theoretical perspective, mm -hmm. and that is just combating potential defeaters. And so... Within those two, offensive and defensive, you have two other types, which would be natural theology, and that's proving um, theism, for example, just through rationality. So without aside from revelation, how can we know that theism is true? Uh, and then there would be positive, which might be arguments for God's existence would be a positive uh, apologetic in this case. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight is natural theology, positive apologetics, mm -hmm. cosmological argument, teleological argument, ontological argument, all those. Yeah. 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 Then there's also uh, in natural theology, oh, what about the problem of evil? How do we overcome that? Yeah. And you can just use rationality to think that problem through. Mm -hmm. And that would be a defensive uh, natural theology apologetic. Then there's also Christian evidences. And this gets you to follow Christianity. And then within that, you're going to have positive and offensive or uh, defensive apologetics as well. Right, right. And so this has to do with, uh, and, you know, the church fathers, a ton of the church fathers are Christian evidences and also in the New Testament. Um, and there's biblical uh, support for all of these. But um, so things like miracles and prophecy fulfillment would be ideas uh, or proofs of Christian evidences that Christianity specifically mm -hmm. is true. Is, it, is that what you hear a lot? Like you hear a lot of that in sermons, I guess. Um I guess that's, you know, maybe there's a, an element of like preaching to the choir kind of thing. It doesn't need to get into the natural as much, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking like you you talk, we talk about miracles a lot. And when we read the gospels, there's a lot of, um, yeah, evidence is like 
a minister will say, well, you know, there, there are, there are real historical records of, you know, Christ being born and, and dying and, and it does say all this. And, and so those kind of help to bolster. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Christian evidences in, in sermons is definitely, uh, I'm sure standard fare, but mm-hmm. not natural theology. We're yeah. not going to come across arguments for God's existence in a sermon. No, right. Uh, and you probably yeah. shouldn't. But, yeah. <laughs> but Christian evidences, I think, can probably flower up a sermon and certainly bolsters people's faith. Right. It, yeah. It's encouraging, right? It, it, and it's it, it gives somebody who's maybe sitting there and, and doubting a little bit in their mind a reason not to doubt. I think a, a little like it just gives them an extra. This is real. Like yeah. this is this is, yeah. you know, something that actually happened. It's historical. It's absolutely so. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're not going to end up talking about all that, but that's kind of where. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that. I have one example I want to bring up with you guys okay. about that because I think it's kind of cool and it, it is strengthening for your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's also good biblical evidence for this technique. It's not really a technique, but for this um, way of doing apologetics, we got an Acts two um, Peter doing a sermon in to the Jews, yep. and he argues based on the resurrection and says, "Look, guys, you all witnessed this. Mm. You saw him yep. just as I did." So why don't you believe? And so he uses a specifically Christian evidence to prove the faith. Right. And that's in the Bible. That's in that's in Acts. Um, and then Paul, too, on a bunch of occasions, you can see him saying that he's arguing from the prophets and from Moses to say, hey, look, you Jesus fulfills the prophecy. Look, mm-hmm. guys, look, guys. And he's pointing to the Bible. And he's pointing people over that way. And people are seeing that. They're seeing that the prophecy has been fulfilled. And they're saying, yeah, you're right. right. Jesus is the Messiah. Um, so it's a way to get the gospel out there. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. You can see the the harmony of, of, of reason and faith in those kind of arguments, too, because he's reasoning from uh, you know, from the word, from, from scripture. Yeah, so how much of that is that? Like, how much of that is is reasoning from, uh, uh, say, what do you call it? Like an a priori kind of like uh, framework that someone's already living in. Like, they already accept the Old Testament to be true. And then that gives him a ground to argue off of. I guess that kind of, you know, that's a little bit away from natural apologetic or natural theology. Well, yeah, natural theology, sure. But I don't think that you should, I think you should be careful to say that they're uh, already accepting the Bible is true, for example. Because if you think about, and again, we'll get to this a little bit once we've talked about knowing and showing God. But if you think about Palestine 2,000 years ago, the Old Testament was a document they had. And they had scrolls and scrolls and scrolls of it, mm-hmm. uh, just as the Greek philosophers had their documents and the Egyptians had their documents and the Jews had theirs, which was the Old Testament. And right. so these weren't, this doesn't happen in a bubble, it didn't happen in a vacuum. The documents were out there and people could talk about what was going on in the Old Testament. And right. they had that. So he could argue for the truth of Christianity based on these documents. And there was a cultural milieu then which accepted the Old Testament on whatever terms it, it accepted them on. Right. Yeah. So is that more challenging now that we they don't accept the, well, the Old I Testament? Well, I think that guess? they have very good reason to accept the Old Testament. And, and right. we'll talk about that. But if you can't accept the Old Testament, you can't accept, or the New Testament, you can't accept any document from antiquity. You can't accept Plato. You can't accept Aristotle. You can't accept Homer's Iliad. Nothing. Because the New Testament is far better attested than any other ancient document we have. Right. Yeah. That's a tough one, yeah. That's yeah. a tough one to refute if you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you you can if you want, but you have to throw <laughs> Plato out too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To be the to do. Yeah. So, so, yeah. You talked about knowing and showing God. Do you, do you want to break that down for us? What do you mean by those two? Yeah. Terms? So I think it's really important to think about knowing and showing God. Um, 
And, and But actually, before we get to that, we were going to talk about the practical outcropping of this as well. And I just want to touch on that quickly. So we said it's a theoretical discipline, which is uh, shaping culture. It's for people's faith and it's for evangelism. Yeah. So if you want to think about the practical mm-hmm. outcropping of this, there's tons of ways apologetics get used. Mm-hmm. So in the academy, for example, let's say you've got a grad student and he's in an epistemology, which is a theory of knowledge uh, course, yep. philosophy course somewhere. And he's trying to figure out, oh, what does all this mean? What is it? And he comes across a planning a book and he starts reading it and he goes, oh, here's a, here's a version of epistemology. And it happens to be Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and planning has had a huge influence that way. So now you've got people who are uh, academic who are taking philosophy and they're starting to see, oh, Christianity is viable. Mm-hmm. So you want materials in that academic setting uh, to be available. Yeah. Also for church, of course, is a practical outcropping. So people who are going on YouTube and they're finding all this apologetics work and it's bolstering their faith uh, and then evangelism techniques. So just having fodder or material for evangelism. Mm-hmm. So those are the three mm-hmm. different ways that this practical stuff gets thrown out there. Yeah, that's cool that you, you, I guess you don't really think about that. Um, you, we think about like a book that's created or that's written by a Christian guy being read by Christian people, but you don't often think about like uh, a, is secular, you know, philosopher running up against Plantinga's arguments for, oh, for yeah. instance, right? Yeah. And I guess that happens all the time. Oh, absolutely. They're like, oh, yeah, but this guy, and he's fairly, it's, well, he's really well known, right? And, and Plantinga, very well uh, yeah. respected. Yes, very for, well respected. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When he, when his books came out, they kind of shook philosophy because mm-hmm. he didn't, he published through mainstream academic publishers and mm-hmm. everybody read his work and went, whoa, this guy's onto something yeah. and he happens to be a reformed Christian. So yeah. it's interesting stuff. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Like, no yeah. one got in showing. Yeah, let's circle back to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really important to think about the difference between how do I know Christianity is true and how do I show Christianity is true. Okay. And so there's a little bit of a history of how do we know Christianity is true that I want to run through with you guys. And then we'll eventually get to planning on when we can talk about actually showing Christianity is true. So how do we know Christianity is true? So going back to Plato, he said, in order for you to know something, you need to have a belief. It's got to be true. And you've got to justify it somehow. So that's how we gain knowledge. If I just say Tyler's got 37 cents in his pocket uh, or Lucas has 17 bucks in his pocket and it happens to be true, I can't say that's knowledge. I just kind of guessed and it happens to be true. Even mm-hmm. though I held a true belief, it's not really knowledge. Okay, still what irrational. Knowledge is, yeah, how do you justify it? It's got to be justified somehow. At least that's what Plato said. And that's carried on for the last 2,000 years. There's always been this, or more than that, 2,300 years. This idea of a true belief is justified. That's knowledge. Hmm. And so if we look at the uh, Patristic Fathers, you've got all kinds of apologists starting right away in the first century on. Uh, and, and they're offering up their own evidence, their own justification. Right? So saying, oh, here's Christianity. Um, this is what it is, this is what it's about. And the reason we know it's true, the justification for it is, and a lot of the time that's uh, fulfilled miracles or, or miracles fulfilled prophecy uh, and martyrdom and the way people lived. So mm-hmm. oftentimes they point to that. If you read it, they say, look, look how they live. Look, they're praying for you, Mr. Emperor. Why are you persecuting them? You're persecuting them and yet they still pray for you. That's proof of their Christianity. Mm-hmm. So the way they live in martyrdom. It's a huge uh, patristic fathers from, from what I've come across, which is interesting. It's how, yeah, they, it's how to justify it. Then you get some medieval times. So we've got guys like Augustine and Aquinas. And they kind of, kind of the same idea. We justify our faith through uh, miracle and prophecy. 
um, Augustine, but both of them also do say things like we're infused with faith. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so it's not always totally clear exactly what they mean by their justi- their stance on justification, but they would say, for example, the, the gentleman who wrote the New Testament uh, were witnesses to the event and the event was a, mer- a miracle. And so their testimony is good. It's, it's sure, it's strong. Um, mm. But he says, but I'm not a witness to the miracle. So how do I know that those guys, you know, they, they, they were justified, but how am I justified? And then he would say the church itself is a miracle. So he says, oh, the church is a global church now. By that time in the 400s, it's Rome is Christian. Mm-hmm. The whole world is Christian from what they could see. Constantine's come. He's made Christianity a, the state religion. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And Augustine looks around and says, well, look, it must be true. This is the miracle of the church is proof of my faith. Um, which is kind of an interesting uh, justification. Yeah, that is interesting. So if it's not the popular religion, then what would he say to that? Yeah, that's the well, thing. It's It doesn't hold up, I don't think, anymore. But there's still, like, um, like the Bible says there will always be a remnant. So to say that, like, to even now, um, you often hear people say, um, I know Peterson, even uh, Jordan Peterson will say something like, we should study the Bible just because it exists. And you're like, yeah, I guess so, like, we have this history that goes all the way back and the fact that we have these books and they've been these books for a long time and you know we can all hold a copy of this is like it's a miracle in itself so how do you yeah you can't just dispense with it it's worth reading just for that fact yes like, yes right? if you're the curious sort then then it's worth reading i'm not sure if it's a justification of its truth uh because there yeah there's a lot of religions out there that have a lot of different people yeah but, but- but it is something, right? Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's not nothing somehow. No, it's not Somehow nothing. in a, yeah. Yeah, and especially for Augustine, in his context, it was huge uh, because mm-hmm. Christianity took over the world. And these are, how did it take over the world? You had peasants and poor people and those who were helping each other, dying for their faith, not for power, not for riches, and being martyred. And they be, this becomes the world religion. Mm-hmm. How does that make any sense? And so for guys like Augustine, it's, it's a miracle. The church yeah. is a miracle. Yeah, so Aquinas is very similar. He's also kind of near the end of the medieval. And he would say, he would say that people know God exists just through reason, uh, which is something that Planning would say as well. And John Calvin would say, we just know through creation, uh, Psalm mm-hmm. 19, right? God's glory is declared in the heavens. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of God out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we just know it. And but he says, you know, we kind of grope at it and we don't really know it that well. And like some people like Plato having to figure it out and Aristotle, even they don't quite know it that well. So he says God needs to reveal things to us. And so he uses scripture to do that. And then believing those things that have been revealed is faith. That's what faith mm-hmm. is. So God reveals that there's the Trinity. When we believe that, that's that's faith. Um, so he's got an interesting way of, of, of thinking about it. Um, he also saw the church as a miracle. So that was sort of a justification but he does also th- say things like God has infused us with faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's again, well, not yeah, totally clear. God's like written on our hearts. That's just like a the fact that we think yeah. of the idea of a God is is a kind of a proof in and of itself. Right. Well, that's like, yes. That's For like God's ontological, existence. isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm probably jumping ahead there, but yeah, yeah. just the, yeah, the whole argument, the God-shaped hole, and and yeah, this like you say, it's it, we kind of just know. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. and Aquinas would totally agree with that, absolutely. And he would say, anyone who says that that's not the case, you can't even really talk to them. Yeah, you're, he'd you're say, just lying to yourself. Yeah, he'd say, you can't approach science, for example, and not believe your faculties work, like that we can actually discover things. Mm-hmm. He'd say, if me and you are going to be scientists together, we both have to agree, 
We don't know why our senses work, but they do. Let's go do science. Yeah. So that's actually, actually, maybe this isn't the right spot to jump in with that, but just because you mentioned science, it, it triggers, I'm like, it's hard even in, in our culture now to get scientists to agree on what they see. Like it's more cultural and it's probably more like, it's probably not as prevalent in the actual science world than they make it seem like it is. But like getting scientists to agree on gender and, and, and sex is like, it's impossible now. So how do you, like, how does that affect? Because science seems to be an underpinning for a lot of, especially the, oh, what do they call them? Like the, um, the existential kind of arguments for this. Like we can see, we agree on the, our senses are kind of, they formulate what we, they form what we believe is true in the world. And so because we can agree on science, now we can agree on this and you can build kind of a rational argument off of something that we all agree on. But now if we can't even agree on that, Mm-hmm. Which is, it seems so dumb because science is science, but I guess you, we also see it with like evolution. Like we can't agree like, what does the, what does science actually show us about, you know, you know, the origin of the world. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's been a lot, like a bit of muddying of what science is. So how do we. Yeah. Yeah. Even... I mean, so you kind of bring us nicely to the next uh, era. So once we get past Aquinas, we get to the enlightenment. Right. If we get to the Reformation and the Renaissance and then after that, we get to the Enlightenment, mm. which is the 1700s and the yeah. guys like John Locke. So people are bucking against what's been going on at the time. And I think there is lessons for the church to learn in this because the church had become fairly corrupt uh, over time. They've become very powerful. We've got popes and emperors and they're fighting each other. And mm. Christianity has basically just been the decreed, you know, everybody's a Christian. Uh, And so you get Martin Luther coming along and saying, wait, guys, we're not reading your Bibles. This is the truth. And you get all kinds of fighting. And then now the Protestants and the Catholics start fighting with each other and they're killing each other. And everybody's fighting over dogma and and doctrine is good. And it's good for us to think about that stuff, but not to kill each other over it. Mm -hmm. And then you get the rationalists and the Enlightenment guys who say, wait, we don't know what all this is. How do we even know anything? How do we know anything? How do we know they're both saying they're right and they're killing each other over it and they're both Christians? What do we do with this? Mm-hmm. And so they're saying, let's find a new way forward. And rationalism is that new way forward. Uh, and of course, this doesn't really work, but we live with that still remnants of it. I think this rationalist, modernist type way of thinking. Right. So, yeah, rationalism, empiricism, you know, you have to have evidence for everything. Scientific method kind of gets Yeah, scientific method. That. Absolutely. And people trust, mm. I think, still highly in these, these uh, scientific claims. Hmm. Um, and so guys like John Locke, for example, was a Christian and he said, we can't believe anything about Christianity or anything that's revelation unless it, it, uh, falls under rationality. It has to be rational. Otherwise mm-hmm. we don't have to believe it. Uh, hmm. so he's kind of saying, uh, let's put faith, let's put divine revelation. Let's put a, a scripture under the authority of rationality. That's our magnifying glass for understanding whether or not these things are true. Right. He was a Christian. He said, oh, well, we've got the cosmological argument, so we're good. Um, But what if the cosmological argument fails? Um, So he kind of kicks off this whole deist, theist thing. The Orthodox Christians are like, yeah, we like this guy. But also the deists are saying, yeah, it's a mechanical universe. We like this guy. Uh, The Mm. Trinity, it's not that rational. The incarnation, we don't know what to do with that. Uh, Yeah, John Locke's Mm. right. So you've got a a bit of an issue with this rationalist empiricist type, type thinking. Now moving um, a couple centuries forward, we get a guy like Alvin Plantinga. Actually, before we get to Plantinga, there's a pushback. There's a hard pushback to guys like Karl Barth. 
Now, he is saying the opposite. He's saying we can't know anything about God unless God comes to us. He says we can't know anything about him, nothing hmm. whatsoever. There's no grip on God at all. He must come to us. And so you get this hard pushback from this rationalism, right? We have to prove it all. So we can't prove anything. It doesn't matter. Hmm. God comes to us through the word, through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's how we know. Right. Uh, but it's a far push. He goes far the other way. He's kind of reacting to what's going on with the enlightenment. Yeah. It seems a little bit irrational, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, yeah. It does in the face of it. Yeah. He goes far the other way. Uh, but then we get to Plantinga. And Plantinga is going to point out some of the problems with this scientific uh, knowledge, which you're talking about. You're saying, how come science doesn't always agree? Or how come they don't always have the answers? And I think Plantinga does an amazing job of kind of poking holes in what we think, you know, how, how mm. humans have knowledge. Where do we get our justification, right? That's the big question. How do we justify true belief? Because mm -hmm. if we can justify it, then we can know it, apparently, right? Yeah. So he's a reform guy. He's Christian reformed. This is in the 50s and the 60s. And uh, he's not a big fan of natural theology. He's not a big fan of what we're talking about, cosmological argument, theological argument. He says they're okay. But he pokes holes in all of them and says, you know, they don't, they don't all work that great. Um, Maybe, can you just uh, define natural? Uh, uh, sorry, I'm the word natural, 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 natural theology. theology. Yeah. Yeah. So natural theology is uh, showing that God exists through rationality. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, just rationality. So just uh, you know, uh, um, the universe uh, exists and design in the universe and stuff like that, which okay. again, we'll, we'll talk about in more detail, but. So he's not a big fan of those rational arguments. Right. He doesn't really believe that we believe Christianity because of evidence and because of arguments. Um, so he, so people are saying at that time, well, unless something is self-evidently true or encourageable, and so self-evident truth would be like two plus two equals four. It's self-evidently true. Mm -hmm. Or the... Um, square root of two sides on a triangle equal the square root of the hypotenuse mm -hmm. when added together. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. That's a self-evident truth, right? So people are saying, unless something is self-evidently true or encourageable, you need evidence for it. Otherwise, it's irrational. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the climate that planning is in and that we're still in. That's kind of what you alluded to. Um, and so planning says... So uh, uh, self-evident is a math question, right? Two plus two is four. It's self-evidently true. Encourageable mm -hmm. means something like I feel pain. That's encourageable. I can't disprove that. No one can prove that. But even if it's not true, I believe it's true. I believe I feel pain. So that's that's knowledge. So Plantinga says, but, but belief in God is not self-evidently true. And it's not encourageable. And so unless you have good evidence for it, you can't believe in God. Hmm. But Plantinga doesn't like this evidence, right? He doesn't like that. That way of thinking, he doesn't want to base his Christianity on evidences. Mm -hmm. He wants to base it on something more foundational. So he thinks about it and says, wait a minute. There's all kinds of beliefs that we have that aren't self-evident and they're not encourageable. Tons of them. And he calls them properly basic beliefs. Mm -hmm. These are just basic beliefs. And he says, what about the idea that the past is real? Existing, yeah. Yeah, how do we yeah. know the past is real? I have no proof for that. Yeah. There's, there could be just a, you know, we could be brain in a vat somewhere and somebody's putting ideas in our head. Or how about what did I eat for breakfast? I don't deduce a logical argument or a syllogism every time I think about what I ate for breakfast. 
But it's still true. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I just know. Yeah. There's this properly basic belief I have about what I ate for breakfast. Well, mm-hmm. you could prove that if you cut up your stomach contents and did that, you know. <laughs> yeah, for I a guess time. You could. Yeah, no, yeah. No, that's, that's based breakfast. on evidence. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's going for evidence. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So, so a, a self-evident, encourageable, or evidence, right? Then somebody would say, okay, if there's evidence, then we'll accept that belief. But Plantinga doesn't like the evidence for Christianity. He's saying, no, I don't want to base it on evidence. I want to base it on something more. Yeah, foundation. he doesn't like that binary. Okay, yeah, gotcha. that's right. Yeah. It's got to be stronger than that. So he says, okay, there's all kinds of these properly basic beliefs, guys. Like, you know, th- this can't be right. Plus, he says, your whole assumption that something has to be self-evident, encourageable to be properly basic is not self-evident. And it's not encourageable. So you're undercutting your, your own belief. It's mm-hmm. not a properly basic belief on your own definition. Yeah, right. So he says, let's throw all this out the window. And in mainstream secular philosophy, if there is such a thing, it's just philosophy. He throws out the idea that in order to have a belief to be justified, you need to have your faculties working correctly. And they need to be working according to the correct design plan. So if they're working right, and they're working according to how they were designed, then you're warranted for what you believe. And he says, and how are they designed? They're designed according to God's design plan. Mm. So if I'm walking outside and I see a tree, I don't need to go through a syllogism in my head as to what the rational proof is that I see a tree. If the idea pops into my head that I see a tree, and my faculties are working correctly, and God's designed me to have these correctly working faculties and that belief is true, I'm totally justified for holding the belief that I see a tree. I don't need to prove that. And he Mm. says, God is a properly basic belief. And he says, uh, Calvin said the same thing. Aquinas said the same thing. Belief in God is properly basic. We go about our day. We see a a beautiful mountain. We see a beautiful snowstorm. Or we wake up in the morning, see a beautiful snow uh, covered on the ground. And we go, wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And that feeling in us, that sense of the divine is what Calvin called it. The sense of the divine. Mm-hmm. That's a properly basic belief. We don't need to prove that. Or guilt. If we sin and feel guilty, we have that, oh, I feel guilty against who? Against God. Mm-hmm. And that's a properly basic belief. I don't need evidence to back up this belief. So does Plantinga put that out there and then uh, in, in an attempt to force his opponents or people who disagree with him or Christianity to come up with a better way to explain that? Or is that, um, well, is that, is that, a, is that a theory that he throws out there to be disproven or is that, you know, obviously that's how he, he views the world, but is that, um, does that, is, does that get upheld as a rational way to look at? Yeah, that's uh, how he explains it. So he called it reformed epistemology, which mm-hmm. is his epistemology. And he says the way we are, ra- way we're more, so everybody's trying to come up with a reason why we're warranted. Is it evidence? Is it self-evidence? Is it encourageable? And he says, it's faculties working properly according to a design plan and God is the designer. If mm. that's what you have, you have a rational belief. You're rational for believing it. And so what's the critique on that from uh, those who hold to an evolutionary viewpoint who don't hold to a designer? Like what, what if the secular philosophers of our, the current age said about that? Yeah, well, they've... Uh, it's been interesting because planning has written a book about exactly that group. Okay. And so they have said, okay, you know, let's say that the, uh, we've evolved and that things are totally random and unguided, mm-hmm. right? That's the key. Unguided. That yeah, that's yeah. right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Unguided, random evolution. Yep. Then planning says, well, that's fine. You can totally have that view if you want, 
But then there's no reason for us to think that our faculties are aimed at truth. Hmm. There's no reason for that. Mm -hmm. They're unguided and random. They're not aimed at truth. They're just aimed at who knows what they're aimed at. They're aimed at there is no survival. Truth, they're aimed at, yeah, yeah, whatever they're aimed at. Yeah. It's not truth. Yeah. Uh, and he writes a whole book on this and he's got all these clever little examples about uh, how if, um, you know, somebody was uh, a mouse encountered a lion and the mouse ran away for survival, it doesn't necessarily do it for truth's sake if everything is random and unguided. So we don't even evolve because of the truth. We just evolve for whatever survival, other random yeah. reason, yeah. And, but not truth. Yeah. And that's really important to him, right? He says, so how do you know your position's true, right? So if you're going to tell me your position's true, and I know we evolved, Plantinga says, well, you can't know that if your position's true. If your position's true, you're undercutting yourself because mm -hmm. your own thoughts are random and unguided. Right. And you're more worried about your survival than you are about the truth. <laughs> so yeah, you can't explain that. You can't answer. trust your faculties. You have no idea if they're true or not. You just don't know. Yeah. So whatever you say to me might be true, might not be See, true. You just told me we can't know. That's just an argument. So if you get there, it seems like that you have to basically, it forces somebody to come up with like what Sam Harris would try to do. Um, working backwards from, from us and say, as mankind, we can, um, based on our rational mind, come up with an ethic and we can come up with a way of living in the world that we can all agree is true. So it's just like, yeah, I guess it just undercuts that whole thing. So it's like, how can you even know that if you just evolved? Yes. But, but now, but now you're trying to argue that you don't need God. You can do it yourself. That yes. just it doesn't really make sense. No, so. that's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the moral argument. Let's bring up Sam. Sam yeah, sure. yeah. Oh, I'm sure he yeah. keeps coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's it's interesting. He's one of the alive horsemen, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of the of the four for sure. Okay. Yeah. So we, we kind of hit Plantinga there, and you talked about reformative epistemology. That's, do you want to talk about that more? Or do you want one to... more thing I got okay. to throw there on Plantinga. Mm, sure. And this is really the key to the whole he's great. Plantinga idea. It's beautiful. So he, and he's following Calvin and he's following Aquinas and he says it. He's saying, I'm not inventing anything new. I'm just reiterating what's been said a mm -hmm. lot of times. He says, if our faculties are working properly, we have the sense of the divine. We're totally justified. So belief in God is coming from our reason. It's a, we reason it out and, and it's true. Um, but he says our faculties are deficient because of sin. This is in his books. So you're reading this philosophy book and you've been reading all these secular philosophers and you get to planning and suddenly you're talking about sin in the book, which is just amazing hmm. uh, and very upbuilding for your faith. So he's saying our faculties are deficient. Therefore, we, we just we're selfish. We don't actually, our faculties don't work right. The deliverances of reasons aren't quite how they're supposed to be. So God convinces us through the Holy Spirit. God sends us the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And that's what convicts us of the truth of Christianity and the truth of the existence of God. So he says we're warranted by the Holy Spirit. That's our warrant. Does he not? Is that not introducing a defeater into his argument? Like, I guess he he's he's there's a solution, obviously, and I mean, you'd be hard pressed to come up with a different explanation. But isn't isn't the admission of sin and that our minds are not actually working in the way that you know they were intended or designed to um, kind of a defeater to that whole thing? Right, right. Well, he wouldn't say that we're so totally deficient in our sin. I guess it's still Maybe the sense like a of barf. the divine, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, he wouldn't say that we're so totally um, desensitized because of sin that we can't know anything about God. Hmm. He would say that we can, but not how we're supposed to. Certainly right. we're deficient and we need God's help uh, to hold that knowledge. We'll continually turn to ourselves. Even if we kind of know God's true, we'll turn to ourselves. Right. And then the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and convicts us fully. And mm -hmm. that's our justification. That's our warrant.
So that's something like, it's encouraging. It gives you a real uh, base to lay your faith on that. Holy you Spirit. can, you can look at your life and you can just say, wow, like, yeah, I mean, this is who I would be. This is who I am. And that's, you know, there's obviously a, a disconnect there. Like you're, you're not doing evil all the time. And that's just like a miracle. And so you could see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. that kind of just bolsters that whole. Absolutely. Whole yeah, and your faith, the faith mm-hmm. that you have, the faith you have in God is coming from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's where it's coming from. So you might have this sense of the divine, but you would always ignore and uh, push him away without the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And I think it's totally biblical. Oh, it makes sense. It's consistent with his, with his theology is yeah, what I was going right. to say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So that's the knowing God side of things. Knowing God. That's yes. reformed epistemology. Now we have the showing God side of things. Yeah, and showing God is what we'll talk about for the rest of tonight, I think. Okay. So yeah, showing really God yeah. is, um, so Luther had this thing about the magisterial use of reason, reason and the ministerial use of reason. And he would say that reason is totally fine as a handmade, like philosophy is a handmade to theology. So if we want to think about this stuff in order to bolster our faith, great. But don't use it as our foundation for our faith. Mm. And that's what we we're just talking about. And that's what Plantinga would say. Gotcha. These arguments are interesting. They're, they're kind of cool. You can learn something from it, but certainly don't base your faith on it. Our faith is from the Holy Spirit. And that's what we should, we should pin our hopes on that. Mm. Yeah. yeah but we can yeah. show Christianity is true because somebody who's not in, in, uh, in the crowd or, or in-house, not a Christian. Sure. They're not believing Christianity is true because of sin. We ultimately would say, right, they're, they're, they're sinners. They're turning from God. But they might not in their head think that that's the case at all. They might think, wow, it's for all these different rational reasons. And until you right. get that out of the way, then, okay, maybe now once those are out of the way, they have no choice but to turn to the real problem. Mm. So these arguments are going to be for probably a fairly small percentage of the population on a deep level. You know, they're good for everybody broadly. But on a deep level, I think certain people will come to faith because these rational barriers are out of their way. They see it's sin, and then they come to accept Jesus mm, Christ. Right. So in a, in a um, evangelism sense, these are these uh, arguments for showing God are 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 not as practical or or you know useful only to you know certain situations. Or it seems to me that it's only for somebody who has really really thought out their position. Like you know, I listen to a lot of Christopher Hitchens and, and the arguments that he makes and stuff like that. Or made he's passed, but. He's, um, but yeah, he's very well thought out. And I guess this, you know, obviously he's, this is the world he's living in. Whereas like, you know, your, your average, you know, unbelieving plumber isn't, you know, sitting around thinking, you know, I believe what I believe because, you know, X, Y, and yes. you're looking into the ontological argument to make, you know. Yes, so, absolutely. But in the academy, certainly. Right. So, so if it's you want to shape culture, or, yeah, if you want right. to shape culture, make sure these ideas are out there. Mm. So the influencers who are professors are, oh, yeah, Christianity is a viable option. And I've run across it in my own uh, couple of presentations I've been able to do in secular settings that were philosophy settings. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that I was uh, able to present these arguments in a winsome way. And I could see people kind of getting on board. Yeah, yeah, no, it's true. It's a rational position. And winning people over that way. Mm -hmm. So it started from, hey, Jeff, just to warn you, this is a hard audience. And then, okay, being prepared for that. And then by the time it was done, Oh, we're softened to it. Mm. Yeah. So, and then that, hopefully yeah. that trickles down to yeah, the person right. who doesn't think that hard about it, but Christianity is viable at least. Yeah. It's not so much about winning. It's about being winsome. That's mm. right. Absolutely. Winsome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. You know, which is tough from like an academic standpoint. You'd be like, 
you get the feeling that uh, so they always say, "Ha, we, I won that argument." But being more, being winsome is 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 better. Out, yes, like, yeah, for the gospel, yeah, exactly. for sure. And, exactly and it's more point, Christian, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's a definitely a sinful tendency to be like, yeah. ha, ha. one on the board for <laughs> right. the good guys. Yeah, yeah. Yes. right, exactly. Yeah, winsome. Okay, so that was. Yeah, so you feel like that's pretty. You've covered the the ministerial use of reason. Yeah, I think okay. so. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Um, do you, so you want to go into these different areas of uh, philosophical apologetics? Yeah, or? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, let's do that. So I think there's one I want to throw out there first, which is the Christian evidences. Okay. And I just think it's interesting that I wanted to, to, to bring up with you guys, because I know we want to talk about the philosophical arguments for natural theology. Um, but before we get to that, um, we should just throw out this one Christian evidence, which I think is helpful. Obviously, as Christians, we're taught to believe that the Bible is the word of God, and that's how we view the Bible. And we absolutely should, because it is the word of God. Um, but it's also the best attested ancient documents we have by far. And that's really interesting to learn. So, for example, I brought some numbers along. And these have changed over the years. But if you look at Plato, for example, he's taught, he's famous. Uh, there's 210 copies of Plato. And there's a time gap of about 1,300 years from when they were written to when the first copies uh, get discovered. So a huge gap in time has happened, and we've wow. got about 200. And no one doubts what we read in Plato is what Plato wrote. Yeah. There's no doubt there. Uh, we've got uh, the Annals of Tacitus. There's 31 copies, and they're about 750 to 950 years from the original. Um, we've got uh, uh, Herodotus's history. There's 109 copies. There's a 1,350-year gap. With the New Testament, we've got 5,800 Greek copies and 18,000 copies in other languages, so Syriac, Coptic, just from around that region. Hmm. And wow. they go back to uh, 50 to 100 years before after the originals. Wow, so that's like, yeah, it's like right away, basically. Yes, like right away you've Compared got copies. Compared to the others. Yeah. yeah, right away you've got copies, and we've got thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. Yeah. Many is, copies. Yeah, that's cool. So if you took the average, the way to think about it is, if you took the average in antiquity document, which anyone would think is transmitted accurately in, in the accurate documents, sure. you'd have about four foot high stack of documents. And if you took the New Testament, you'd have a two mile high stack of documents. <laughs> that's the difference between the New Testament and any other ancient document on average. Yeah, I can't say that's a reason to believe, but it's definitely a reason to think about it. <laughs> well, now, so take it one step further. When you read your Bible, that's a document that Peter wrote. That's a document that James wrote. These guys believed what they wrote. That's what they wrote. Mm -hmm. They witnessed it. They witnessed the resurrection, they saw the miracles, and they wrote it down. Mm -hmm. And it got so preserved because it was a big event. God came to earth as a man. Mm -hmm. So when we read these books, it's the word of God, of course, but it's also a human wrote this who lived it. In real was inspired time, in a real place. To read it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I found that's brought my faith uh, to, to life. That's the more yeah. I learned that. Yeah, And read the books that way and see, wow, mm -hmm. these guys were there. Yeah, I came across the same something along that same line that somebody was saying, "Why believe the resurrection?" and and they were he was talking about that and and the one of the strong evidence of, evidences of it was exactly what you said that these these apostles had genuine faith and it's so evident that their faith was genuine that their writings and there's historical records of like you know them being martyred for their faith yes. and and so. All the arguments, you know, for, you know, they disciples stole the body of, of Jesus from the tomb or, or while well, he didn't really die, but, you know, you know, he didn't really come back. And, and all these, all these, you know, common critiques of, you know, or 
physical critiques of, of, I guess, of the resurrection kind of fall flat when you realize that the people who were there, like they died for what they saw, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is like that. Yeah. It's it, just something I came across like today and yesterday while I was mm-hmm, researching mm-hmm. it. Something like now when I read the gospels, I'm just going to read them and like, mm-hmm. it's like opens your eyes a bit more. Right. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. yeah. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot of apologetics work on the resurrection. That's always been a hot topic. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people write about it. And there's all these evidences based on uh, the resurrection and the, and the gospel documents. So, and then correlating that with Paul too, right? Because mm-hmm. Paul, we got all these letters from Paul. They're all well attested. And he's saying the same stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, I had a vision. I went out into Arabia and then I started preaching the gospel. And then later I verified with those guys over there in Jerusalem. Hey guys, what are you preaching? Because this is what I'm preaching. And yeah. it totally aligns. Yeah. So how do you get, how does that happen? Because it happened, right? Jesus came to Paul on mm-hmm. the road and convicted him and, and he went off and started preaching. So, yeah. and it's verified and it's correlated in the book of Acts as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Very <laughs> cool. Cool. All right. Uh, so you want to get to the, the apologetics? Yeah, so that's a Christian yeah. evidence is kind of way of looking at yeah, it. Yeah, so yes. we're going to go through some the natural- historicity of the Bible. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, so we'll, right. we'll go through some natural theology now and. Maybe, I guess, yeah, maybe you just want to find philosophy first. We could have done that off the bat, perhaps, mm-hmm. but yeah. you talked so about that a bit. Philosophy, I think if we go with Plantinga's definition, is a good idea. And so philosophy is a Greek word, right, which means love of wisdom. That's all philosophy means. But Plantinga said that philosophy is when you think really hard about something. <laughs> that was, Slightly that was tongue-in-cheek. I like yeah. that. No, I think he's right. I think he's, that's he's what he meant by on. it. It's yeah. He just meant it's when you sit down and think. You sit down and you think about something and you think, Why? does it make sense? Is it rational? Exactly. Think about it. That gets me because we don't often get the the opportunity or the chance to actually think. It's like people who, you know, you have a job, you like, actually heard somebody or Mike, Mike Hutton was saying, well, I'm back on, I'm going to ask him. He said he drives in silence and I was like, well, that's weird. Right. (laughs) But he said that on his last podcast. But I thought that's like the only time where you could actually think probably. And, and you don't get a lot of chances to actually think so mm-hmm. much as like consume mm-hmm. what other people think. Yes. So I thought like, how does Elvin, like he, he made a whole a career out of just sitting and thinking, which was like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> and writing a that's lot. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Teaching a lot. Yeah. yeah. But it's amazing if you spend five minutes thinking and you stop mm-hmm. and you slow down and you think for five minutes. It's hard. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing though what you can connect and see and go, yeah, okay, that does make sense. If we just stop and think, mm-hmm. right? It's hard, but it's a good discipline because- that's really all philosophy is, is to just stop and think about things. Yeah. You know, take things to really the hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, so much of life is just habit, right? Like you're just, you're doing the same things over and over. Or like you say, you're, right. you're, you're distracting yourself. You're consuming what others are. So we out. like to learn mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Just, we don't like to come up with them ourselves. It's hard work. You sit there and you're like, ah, oh, yeah. I'd rather just listen to it. Yeah. Else. Or <laughs> then you have to like, you know, you got to look deep inside yourself and consider what you believe. And yeah, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. can be, uh, that can be kind of daunting. Yeah, yes. definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes. But that's all philosophy is. So throw okay. that on the table. I yeah. think we can now talk about some of these different arguments. Now, how much time do you guys want to spend on these different arguments? Well, we're at almost an hour now. Okay. Fuck, getting uh, close. 50 minutes. So let's, because uh, then I can Where do you want to figure start out how fast this? I want to go through them. Well, I can go through them as fast as possible or as slow as possible. I could talk about them for three hours. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, this is all worthwhile. Let's let's hit the cosmological one first. Okay. Maybe we met- 10, 15 minutes. We'll try to spend on all of them. Sure. Sure. That's let's go goal. with that and then maybe we'll get yeah, some, some grab yeah. bag stuff at the end. Yeah. Okay. So the cosmological argument. So I'll lay out the, all the basic arguments and then just kind of talk about them. I won't try to defend are the, them. Any, are these broad or are these all planning as arguments? No, these have all been around for a long time. Yeah. yeah. These oh, okay. arguments have all been around for a long time. And they're the, the most popular philosophical, natural theology type arguments that are out there. 
Right. Yeah. So the cosmological argument's been around since Aristotle. Um, he he thought about it. Uh, Al Khazali, who was a, a Muslim scholar, he thought about it. Uh, Aquinas. So it's been out there. Mm -hmm. So the basic idea is that anything which begins to exist, I'll run through the premises. Actually, yeah, let's sure. talk about this first: deductive and inductive. This is important. Yeah. So when you're making an argument, the better argument is the deductive argument, and that's what all these will be. So there's deductive and inductive. And deductive argument, you have, as long as the premises are true, the conclusion follows necessarily. All right? Mm -hmm. So if we say, um, uh, Lucas is a man, all men are mortal, therefore Lucas is mortal. Right? It's a very dark example. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> well, if you're, if you're a man, then yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. If the premises true. are true. Yeah, the premises, true, the premises yeah. are true. So yeah. that's two premises, I guess. That's two, two premises and a conclusion. Premise Premisize? That's right. Oh, yes. Premises. Premises. Yeah. And so if right. the premises aren't true, that, that's what you're attacking. But the conclusion follows necessarily. You can't escape it. Sure. As right. long as you're holding to classical logic, which most people do. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's the kind of arguments all of these are. You have to attack the premises. And then inductive is what? And inductive is sort of, a, you know, something based on our senses. It's the best idea we have. So if I've gone out and all I've seen, all black crows everywhere I go, and I say every crow in Ontario is black. That's probably true, but it's not necessarily true. It's right. possible I've just not seen all the crows. And a white one flies by and I go, oh, shoot, okay, that argument's no good anymore. So it's just or, an inference to the yeah. best explanation. Sort or if of you're a scientist now, you say that's not a crow. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and so a lot of science is inductive, right? right? You're doing experiments, you're making observations, you're gathering information, but that can always be revised. So you get one one result, you draw the conclusion, but you need to go back and 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 do that that experiment over and over and over and over and over. You know, you should do it an infinite number of times to find out if it always right. has the same result. Yes, basically. But to a certain point where you can get, you know. Pretty common. Do it a few times. Yeah. Yeah. And we make inductive okay. arguments all the time, right? That makes sense. We, we yeah. constantly make decisions that way. We constantly make inductive arguments and in, in, in reasoning in our own head all the time. Right. Oh, yeah. But in philosophy, of course, you want to have a strong, the strongest argument possible, and deductive arguments give you that. Gotcha. That yeah. makes sense. All right. Let's run through them. So we want to attack the premises, right? Is the idea. So mm -hmm. if we look at the cosmological argument, the there's two premises and a conclusion. And the first premise is that anything which begins to exist has a cause. Anything which begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Hmm. So that would be the cosmological argument. And that's a pretty strong argument, I think. Anything which begins the to exist has a cause. The first premise, I guess, is the only, one you can, the only one you can attack, really. Well, you can attack both, right? So you can think that things pop into existence out of nothing. And that would be to attack the first premise, but that would be pretty crazy. But that's like believing the Big Bang. No, no, that's not the Big Bang. Or is that still like a cause? I guess that's still a cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Exactly. Yeah. So if you think that the universe popped into existence out of nothing uncaused, right? It came from nothing, then you would attack the first premise. But yeah, what a Christian would say is that the universe came into existence because God caused it, right? But that's not to say that a divine being caused it. Necessarily. Right. It's just to say there is a cause. Right. Gotcha. That's right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That's right. exactly right. Yes. And then so you can deduce from that, well, what yeah. kind of cause would it have to be? Right. Well, it would right. have to be timeless. It would have to be spaceless because it's created space. It's created mm -hmm. time. It would have to be enormously powerful. So you get. So it gets you three quarters of the way there. It gets you all the way yeah. there, basically. Pretty well. Right. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And then that way. So, yeah, that argument gets you to a creator. And that's almost like the ontological argument in terms of like you imagine what this being would be like. And that being would have to exist, or maybe you can break we'll that down. Through, better for yeah, that, that, that kind of we'll that kind of last because it's the most complicated. It's okay, okay. it's cool. That's <laughs> yeah. a good argument. I like that argument. Yeah, yeah I that like fascinates it a lot. me. Yeah, it is interesting. It's a very much a thinking man's argument. But that's going to be yeah. That's going to be like one that people have to Google after this thing because yeah, that's, but it's powerful me, once you figure yeah. it out. It yeah, took me a while to wrap my head around it. It took take me a long time to really understand that argument. Yeah, a long time, but it's a good one. Yeah. So cosmological argument, it's it's solid. So you can argue against it in a couple different ways. Um, first, you can say the universe has always been here. It doesn't need to be created. Sure. But there is an issue with that, and that's the problem of the impossibility of the infinite. So then you get multiple universe theory, right? Right. Yes, multiverse. Yeah. That's very popular right now. Yeah. But there's an yeah, issue but, there. You, well, scientists can tell that this is, or or have predicted that this is going to end at some point. I guess. Although maybe that's just a. Right. Maybe that's a falsehood too. I don't know. Well, that's part of the multiverse model, right? Is that these universes expand and they contract and they expand. Oh, I see. So, go on forever. so who knows? Yeah. But the issue with that is the impossibility of the infinite. And so how can you get to, how can an infinite number of things end? Right? How did we get to today? It would have to cross an infinite number of events for today to have arrived if the universe has always been here. That's like the same thing as trying to wrap your head around eternity. Yeah. Like, you're going to be in heaven forever. You're like, right. Now that's <laughs> a little just different. Over. Yeah, that's yeah. slightly different because that's well, a potential infinite, right? So you have a beginning right. and then you potentially guess, go but, on forever. But imagining yourself, you know, 250 million years into that and you're like, Right. That yeah, is a but if there is no beginning and there is no end, and that's it's right. just one big infinite. That's right. That's yeah. impossible. So really that's mathematically impossible. Or, or some people would argue anyways, for there to be an actual infinite series uh, existing, it's, yeah. it just doesn't make any sense. So yeah. God exists timeless yeah. before there was anything. And so there was no series of events. There's no problem for him. He can exist that way. But as soon as the universe came into existence, time began. And so you have a series of events. That's what this universe is all about, a series of events. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you just can't have an infinite number of them. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. Yeah. You can have it. You can have it. A, a computer running an uh, algorithm infinitely, though. But it begins at it some a, point. It has a beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Enough. So there's a difference between a potential infinite and an actual infinite. That's oh, so key. it's more like yeah, infinity versus uh, everlasting. So like starting now, going forever, right? As opposed to like having oh, started having forever been. ago. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Those two ideas need to be distinguished. If everyone's yeah. brain's not mush. <laughs> yeah. right yeah. So that's still the first premise. So that's the cosmological argument. Yeah, that's the first premise. The universe began to exist. And there's a whole bunch of scientific evidence for that, right? That the universe began to exist. Yep. Most or astronomers or cosmologists today would say there, there was, was a cause. Model. There was a beginning. Yeah, there was yeah. a beginning. There was a beginning, yeah. It's like a big cone, right? But then you get point. to the cause. How do they deal with that? Well, they don't. Well, so they try like, to come up with models to get yeah. around a cause, right? And yeah. none of them, well, you, we can debate whether or not they So work. random random evolution, particles swirling, Big Bang. Well, like, I mean, it's... it's Try to make it physical. Crazy quantum physics type Try stuff. to make it random. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. But all of that stuff, you always, you got to get back to that basic premise if you're going to think about it, right? Is that space and time began when the universe began. So whatever it is that caused it needs to be beyond space and time. You can't say quantum or string theory because that's something. That's yeah. something existing. And then you're 90, 98 percent of the way to to a divine. Because yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. else is beyond space and time? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, then it's just beyond rationality because you can't even imagine what that is. So. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 
So next one, theological. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the argument from design, which is pretty famous for a lot of people, I think. Um, so the argument goes like this. Uh, the universe is fine-tuned for life. If the universe is fine-tuned for life, it's either due to chance, necessity, or designer. It's not due to chance or necessity. Therefore, it was designed. Yeah. Okay, break that down. <laughs> yeah, so nobody really argues that the universe was fine-tuned for life. And this is a very amazing when you think about it, but there's different fundamental forces that are in play that um, the universe is uh, held together by, we could say. Mm -hmm. So you've got gravity, the strong force, the weak force, and the electromagnetic force. These four forces and the cosmological constant, which is what causes the universe to expand. So these four forces are fundamental or five forces, you would not have life without them uh, being under certain parameters. So when you compare them to each other, they're, they're basically constants, right? Mm -hmm. So the gra gravity, for example, uh, is constant. If you, it's, it's always the same. That's how we use it in, in physics. That's right. Uh, it never calculations changes. and everything. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And so if you compare that constant with the strong force or the weak force, and you add a number to each one of these, they need to be a certain exact specific number. And if those numbers relative to each other change, then you wouldn't have life. So how much can they change by? Well, if you took a ruler and you made this ruler as long as the entire universe, which is 14 billion light years long, which is really long. You don't say. So the sun is 187 million kilometers from here. And that's eight minutes of light mm -hmm. traveling, 187 million kilometers. The universe is 14 billion light years. It's huge. So if you stretch that ruler across the whole universe and you move that ruler and you've measured things for work sometimes, right? You guys mm -hmm. measure windows and doors. Yeah. If you move that ruler one inch, you don't have life. The parameters yeah, don't just... work. The numbers don't jive. That's how tight. How that's many how decimal places tuned. is that? Yeah, I don't know. But that's how fine-tuned the universe is for life within these numbers. So there's a second thing, and that's the initial conditions. So you've got those four forces, but you also have the initial conditions. And this is the number of protons, the number of neutrons. And I think most importantly is the entropy level. So everything is kind of going into a, a, a chaotic state, but in the very beginning, it would have been a very ordered state. And they can calculate some of these things and figure out, oh, how ordered it would it have had to have been. So what would those initial conditions have been? And so for the state to be ordered the way it was is... Uh, 1 to the 10 to the 123. That number's so big that if you drew a red dot on every atom in the universe, so now you're not talking about a ruler, you're talking about the whole universe, every atom, and you drew one red dot for one atom, and you flew around in a spaceship for as many light years as you wanted, and you opened the door, and you plucked an atom, if it happened to be that red one, those are the odds that the entropy level would be what it was for there to be life in the universe which is astronomically infinitesimal, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can only really believe that if you believe in infinite, which we already kind of disposed of. <laughs> well, yeah, even infinite won't even get you there. Right. Even yeah. infinite won't get you there because it doesn't, it's not like every chance is uh, one yeah. less atom. You still, every time it's random. It's, it's like rolling a dice every and every time. time you roll, you add a dice to your hand. It, it, yeah, you can't <laughs> get there. You reset it every time, every time, every time. What are the odds at some point you're going to add some, suddenly su bet, ah, this time will be the time when it resets completely every time? No. Nobody rationally would. Mm. They would They would believe that's just not going to happen. So yeah, you've got the conditions and you've got the forces and there's no real reason for them. So 
the, the universe is fine tuned for life. No one questions that. Is it by necessity? No. There's no reason why these parameters are the way they are. The forces are the way they are. There's just no explanation for it. So it can't be necessity. Mm. So chance is an option. Any betting man would, would not bet on that. So our only other option is design and, and God would be the designer. Wow. It's a pretty strong argument too. <laughs> it's a very strong argument. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow. Yeah. Okay. My, my brain's just working. So how would, how would somebody go about, like we talked about, you know, using this to bolster our faith, but how would you even go about this? If you, you know, you obviously have the science and you, you've studied into these things, but how would you even go about understanding this argument without knowing all the science down to a, a T or something like this? Yeah. I like, mean, it depends what you're going, you're trying to investigate the argument for. Again, I think these things are for a minor number of people. And then for us just to to glean off what we're gleaning off of well, you, I guess. <laughs> Unless you want to look into it more. Well, for yeah, well, I mean, this already is like eye opening, and then you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I would just like, say, as Christians, like you know, it, we we are created with a with a telos, with a purpose. That's mm. kind of the outcropping of this argument, obviously. Yeah, it's so not like I'm going to remember this argument. In such a way, yada yada yada. It's yeah. revealed to us in the Bible. Like I'm yeah. not going to be able to remember this or be able to uh, reiterate it. To somebody, if you ask me tomorrow to tell you what Jeff just told us. He'd be like, uh, but right now I'm like, wow. Well, that settles right. it then. That settles yeah. it. <laughs> well, yeah. And it often right. your faith. But Lucas is right. I mean, telos, that's the word that it comes from, which is a Greek word. Yeah. And it's purpose, right? So the universe has a purpose. Mm. And it's good to think about that word. And what's our purpose here? Yeah. Uh, why are we on this planet, right? We're here to glorify God. We're here to spread the name of Christ. And so for us to build up our faith in whatever means and then spread that to people is, is a thing that we should do. Whether it's through these arguments or for something else. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You want to hit the moral one and then do yeah. ontological? Mm-hmm. All right. We're, yeah. Okay. We're rolling here. Couple we some time. Yeah. yeah. Moral argument is the easiest one. And it it's um, objective morals and values and duties do exist. Uh, if objective morals and values, duties exist. Uh, or Well, sorry. Let me back up. I got the premises mixed up. Um, if objective morals and values, duties exist, then God exists. Hmm. Yes. Objective morals and values you need to give do exist. Therefore, God exists. So this yeah. is the Sam Harris thing. Yes. So Sam right. Harris would say you don't have, um, you can get to morals and values without God. Right. So, right. but that's self-defeating, I think. I don't know. Well, yeah. It's so, just I mean, not that if, good of an argument. Yeah. If, if you don't have God, then it's, uh, and I think this is common sense to a lot of people, right? Then it's just socially sort of. Uh, faux pas to you know kill people yeah, or so do things we shouldn't do but it's not wrong necessarily yeah like you really just don't know people and you don't know yourself very well if you believe that it's just you just don't know your nature very well you can't see the sin in your life or you can't see your inclination to to one thing versus another thing yeah you okay know? but even if aside from that let's say he was right he's not really right he's just saying it appears as though we have morals but we don't really because there's no base for it, right? So on his view, for example, if the Nazis won the war and they took over the world and Nazi ideology became the norm, oh, well, I guess that's that's morally right. That's what we're doing now. Yeah, right. that's what we're doing now. And right. there's no reason for it not to be. So objective moral, morals and values says it doesn't matter. Even if Nazis took over the whole world and everybody became one, so if it, was it just, would still be wrong. Yeah, right. It would still so be wrong. So it was just cool to kill people in a society that somehow came to exist we would know no different i guess that's right exactly uh, it just yeah. be socially the way things are it happens to be that this is the way things are but it could have been anything else 
because if we're just animals and we look at the animal kingdom, they animals kill each other all the time. They rape each other all the time. What's I the guess difference the, between the us? Very, the very bottom of that is like um, if, you, if you look at the Bible and, and what it tells us about ourselves, that's exactly how we see it. So I guess it's like you try try to disprove it. The Bible just told us how it is. And when we can see that pretty clearly, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess it's like you dispense with one and you kind of still have the other. I don't know. Yeah, and most people aren't going to give up their objective morals, values, and duties. Mm-hmm. Right? If you press somebody on that, they're not going to want to give Especially that up. Especially in the West, yeah. Yeah, why would they want to? There's nobody wants to give that up. So mm-hmm. I think it's okay for us to agree with somebody then. I think that's a it's a great starting ground for someone to say, yeah, I absolutely agree that we've got morals. So do you, and you want to hold to them as well. Let's think through our foundation for them. Why do you think that we things are right and wrong? Yeah, right. Oh, I have, I have an offer as a Christian, right? I can say, oh, here's here's what I think. And it actually makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, That's that cool. makes sense. Because a lot of people will criticize the church as being hypocritical and, and Christians as being hypocritical. But I think that's that's a good like uh, spot to meet them at in terms of like that very well may be true. But, um, you know, they're clearly not living up to the objective moral standard. Which well, we sometimes have. they might be, right? Sometimes they might be. You might have perfectly good atheists. I mean, I'm, I'm with you, but mm-hmm. who totally live up to it. And the Christians don't. And so yeah. it's really important for us to make sure we do. Um, no, and that's what I'm saying. Like if, if like uh, people who, yeah, people who criticize the church, often atheists, and fair enough, like they'll look to like all the, the sex scandals of church leaders or something like right, that. Or, right. or the Catholic church and, and, and the abuse and all that kind of stuff. And like, fair enough, there's, there's definitely a lot of hypocrisy and sin. Mm-hmm. But it's because they're failing to live up to the standard. Yes. The standard is not the issue. It, it yes. is the sinful humans who fail to live up yeah, to the standard. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. any yeah, any rational person, like even I think I think even Christopher Hitchens gave Douglas Wilson that in that in that documentary we were watched. Yeah, right. He's like, Yeah, no, we're we're talking about you know what's under underneath it all, not mm-hmm. not you know, how people are actually acting. Because how mm-hmm. people are acting isn't necessarily what you know what we're talking about. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, my only point in that that is a good place to meet people in terms of if mm. you're trying to have a, yeah, a and that's, that's a fairly practical one actually because because yeah. th- yeah. they feel that strong disgust for oh, yeah. more so for the hypocrisy probably although again if there's like abuse of kids involved and stuff yeah that's something that you know for 99 percent of people is, is morally repugnant so yeah no i think yeah, you're right yeah. i think that's good i mean we're yeah. talking about just um cultural issues christians should embrace i think on some level when these moral failings happen and their their colleague next door says, "Hey, you know, I noticed this, and I think it's wrong." You're right. I agree with you. Yeah, it is wrong. Healthy self criticism. Yeah. yeah, and everyone right. loves to complain. So it, finding something that yeah. people right. like to complain about is not hard. This too. It's so not that's that so like yeah. No, that's true. So meeting your neighbor who's complaining about this or that, yes. you might think it's no, if it's but morally can, wrong. Otherwise, yeah, you don't right, want to right. just complain. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. oh, true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we'll do the last no, one. Yeah, we got one. Yeah, we got one left. All right. This is the most challenging one for sure, but it's also maybe one of the most interesting. The ontological argument. So this is really old argument. It's been around since Anselm. So that's about a thousand years old. And it's been talked about by everybody. I've used it a couple of times just in the couple of presentations I've made because I feel like it's a very powerful argument. Uh, but it's also bolstering to your faith. And so he wanted to come up with an argument that uh, just proved 100% that God existed. That was mm-hmm. his aim. And uh, he may have gotten there. I'm not sure. Planning a life so, <laughs> it's it's quite an interesting argument. I've heard Planning to think a critique it, and I thought his critique was good. So. Okay, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. He he reformulates it, and that's kind yeah. of the I think the basis of the one that I'll throw out there tonight. But sure. So he says, if a the greatest conceivable being 
is, uh, he says, the greatest conceivable being is logically possible. So it's possible to conceive of the greatest conceivable being. That's mm -hmm. premise one. So it, it would be impossible to conceive the greatest being if he was something like a, a square circle or a married bachelor, mm -hmm. right? That would be a contradiction. So planning is saying, is it a kind or Alan some really, but planning and reformulating it. Is it a contradiction to think of the greatest conceivable being? No. No, because he's conceivable. Yeah, it's conceivable, right? It makes sense. Maybe sure. there's a God, maybe there's not. It's not like a square circle. It's not like a married bachelor. It makes sense. If it's possible that the greatest conceivable being exists, then the greatest conceivable being exists in some possible world. So possible world is just in our imagination. There's all these possible worlds that could have been, right? And it's just a helpful way to think about things. Yeah, so that was that's more of like a, a philosophical way to test whether something is yeah. is is uh, contradictory. Is, or not. Yeah, yeah, it's coherent. Yes, because I think part of that part. I don't want to, you know rain on your parade here. Part part of the possible world thing that to me I misunderstood at the beginning was when you pitch an idea or you you put an idea you have into say a possible world. Everything in that world has to uh, be able to agree with it. Yes, it has to. It has to make. It has to be coherent with inside. You know, inside a world that yes. could exist. Yeah. So, like a unicorn could be real in a possible world, and you can create that world to make it make sense. Yes. Yes. But if something contradicts that, you can't just throw it in there. Yes. It's so like a, like a round square. Yes. Right? Yeah. So you, you, like, you, exactly you throw it right. in, and then it just doesn't make any sense. Yes. So you can't have a world in which Lucas is the president of the United States of America, and Lucas was never born. Right. That's just, it right. won't work. It, that doesn't happen. You it's got to be one or the other. Yeah, you can't have a, a world without numbers because numbers are just, they just, they just come out of nothing. Like you uh, have. No, maybe you could have a world without uh, numbers. I don't know. Or the, idea, <laughs> or the idea of, you know, plurality, I guess. Like Stick with the square you circle. Have, you, right, have two, yeah. you have two things. One, two, right? Sure. It just, well, it you just, could just, just have one thing, but. Yeah, like, well, yeah, well, yeah, Stick with the square circle. <laughs> yeah, square circle. That did you cut it in half. So, so, yeah, okay. So we've got this great evil being. Yeah, that makes sense. He exists in, let's say, some possible world. So if he exists in one possible world, since he's the greatest conceivable being, he must exist in all possible worlds. Otherwise, I can conceive of a greater being. That would be... Greater than that being. So, okay, I have to think mm. of the greatest being. So, one that exists in just one possible world, that's not the greatest. He must exist in at least two. That'd be greater. Well, he must exist in at least three. That'd be greater. Well, he must exist in all of them in order to be the greatest conceivable being. The actual world that we live in is a possible world. Therefore, the greatest conceivable being lives, exists in the actual world. Yeah. So you've got all your possible worlds, and then you've got the actual world, which is just a possible world, but it's been mm -hmm. actualized. Yeah. And if the greatest conceivable being exists in, in one, he must exist in all, and the actual world so is the that's, actual world. That's where my mind went at first. I thought the jump from possible worlds to actual worlds didn't really work. But then I think what Plantinga said, um, you know, there's a possible world within this actual world where we're not sitting down to have this conversation. You know, say the snowstorm that is coming, you know, right now outside our window came an hour ago, we wouldn't be sitting here. And so this possible world that we're living in is, is an act. Well, the actual world that we're living in is a possible world yes. that could have been changed by something else changing five minutes ago, 10 minutes right, ago. 20 right. minutes that ago. would just be a different possible so, world. Right. So there's, there's multiple possible worlds. I just yes. thought like the, you, you say possible world is kind of like this imaginary thing and the actual world's somewhere apart from that. But right. that, no. that was a good way to like yes. connect yes. them. That'd be like, the actual world is a possible it world. It is a possible world. It's just yeah. the one that's been actualized. Yeah. 
And this is the one where and that's not like something that, you know, as a Christian, you're like, well, no, no like God made the actual world. He didn't yes. make the possible world. Like, it's so totally it's actually just still a, a philosophical way mm, of thinking about things. That's all. Very the possible worlds thing. Yeah. yeah. But Anselm didn't come up with possible worlds, right? That came later. He formulated the argument a little bit differently, mm. but planning his way of formulating it, I think, just makes easier thinking about possible worlds. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I so, like that one a lot. Yeah, it's cool. That makes a lot of <laughs> yeah, sense. Think about it when you're driving yeah. around because God oh, is a necessary being, right? Mm -hmm. He can't not exist. It's impossible for God to not exist because he's necessary because that's a great making property. Yeah, which to get back to some of our earlier conversations, like we feel that to be true. Yes. Mm -hmm. As like we we're talking about Calvin and, and planting it Absolutely. Too, right? Yes. So it, it, that makes so much sense to yes. me. Yes. Think about it while you're driving. Yeah. yeah. You'll love it. Yeah. No yeah. One, one more podcast. Driving in silence. Me and my thoughts. Yeah, that's right. Oh boy. It'll strengthen your faith though. I find it has for me. And it took me a long time to really grapple with this argument, but it yeah. puts the fear in you because God is necessary. Yeah. He must exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think we're definitely at an hour and a half now. No, not quite. It's well. It's ten past nine. I got an hour twenty, and we started a little early, so okay. Um, we got maybe 10, 15 minutes. All right, um, we want to push this. We got three, four hours. <laughs> yeah, well, we could go. <laughs> Jeff, all, like, Jeff could go all day, probably. <laughs> You're kidding? This stuff's great. Like my mind's just swirling, but the the existence of time and space to me, it, while going through this, has been something that I'm like, how do you how do you even how do you even grapple with that idea of like mm. i mean don't answer it now i'm just mm -hmm. like that is something that it's like it's the sim it's similar to thinking of eternity your mind just kind of just goes like mm. you can't it's so hard to think of of, of yourself outside of time and mm -hmm. like what you know einstein and these scientists are working on or we're working on like uh removing themselves from time or like understanding time as a dimension and it's mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. man it just boggles your mind yeah yeah <laughs> okay so well, I think just at the end of this episode, we should maybe hone in on some more practical matters mm. because our inspiration to do this originally was uh, we went to uh, Guido de Bray Christian High School, local high school here it's in Hamilton. Uh, whatever, people are going to give me crap for that. Um, I went there. This is how I say the name. Jeff's mom taught there for what? 15, 20 years? I went there as well. And you went there yeah, as well. Yeah, Jeff went there as well. Anyways, we went to Guido. I'll just short form <laughs> to that. Don't get mad at Guido. people. And, um, and we talked to students just about Real Talk, what we're doing. And we wanted to do an episode on uh, different concerns or, or interests or, or matters of faith. Mm -hmm. uh, like real critical, um, yeah, like arguments we're making today about apologetics. Um, just questions that that uh, kids might have nowadays. You know, you're in high school. That's like a time where you you're trying to figure out your life and trying to figure out what you actually believe. And your parents teach you this. Teachers t teach you this. Like, what do you actually believe? So we went there and we got a bunch of good questions. Uh, we did some Thursday thriller conversations with them and uh, kind of brainstorm with the one class. And so they brought up a whole bunch of different topics. Like it was BLM any sort of LGBTQ issues, abortion, feminism, climate change, you go down the whole list of just, uh, yeah, kind of big cultural issues that are kind of in their face and, and can challenge, uh, can challenge their faith. So we kind of gave you this list before and you used some time to think about it. Or do you have any one of those you want to jump on and, and in a practical way, um, maybe some of these apologetics type um, arguments have a way to to answer or deal with any of these hot button cultural issues yeah i mean so i think it's great that you guys are talking to students about it and trying to get a flavor of what's going on yeah. and then trying to answer that i think that's a really great thing to do and and somebody should be doing that um when it comes to apologetics i mean really you're talking about 
whether or not God exists and whether or not Christianity is true. Um, and, and so some of these issues, I think, are coming up from the secular culture that we're in. And there's secular worldview issues. Mm-hmm. So if you want to think about worldview, there's all different worldviews. One of them is a secular worldview or a Muslim worldview or a Buddhist worldview. And there's a Christian worldview. And so how a Christian deals with all of these issues uh, is through a very specific lens, through a very specific worldview. And to me, the way uh, apologetics might have something to do with that is to bolster a Christian's faith, to take the word of God seriously. Take the Bible seriously. This is a real book that came from God. And if we read it and we ask for wisdom and we pray for wisdom, we'll get clarity on all of these issues. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I believe that's true. I think that if you try to answer these issues from a non-biblical perspective, you won't get very far. Um, you mm-hmm. just won't have the, the full answer. So that's how I would begin to start thinking about that. I think if anyone in high school is going to think about Christian apologetics, do it to strengthen your faith. Realize that uh, God created the universe. He came here as a man. He died for your sins. He loves you. He forgives you. And enter a relationship with him and study his word. Mm-hmm. Because you love him and he loves you. And by doing that, you will grow in your knowledge. You will grow in your faith. And then you'll start to be able to think about these things. So that's my first approach. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Totally. Like, separating the worldview is, is, is a very helpful thing, I think. Yeah, like understanding that your worldview is not the worldview necessarily that someone is coming at these issues with. Yeah. Come at these issues from a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. So how does a Christian come at these things? Well, read your Bible. Otherwise, how am I going to Mm -hmm. know what I'm supposed to think about these things? I can't just make it up. Mm -hmm. We have a Bible and it's. And and look to it for answers too. Like don't. So yeah, so much of the cultural milieu as we talked about earlier and the cultural attitudes toward religion and faith is our ones of derision. Ones of, you know, this, this silly old religion, or you cling to your Bible and what sort of answers could be in such a book. But there is so much, there is the only truth and there's so much truth in God's word. So, yeah, I, I think that's a great answer. Kids, yeah. Anybody of any age can look to the Bible absolutely for answers. And it, it it's, I know it sounds cliche and it know, sounds like, it's, it's, it's like, oh, that's kind of a pat answer. Yeah, yeah. All the foundations are there. Yes. And so let's throw out a couple things on some of these just, just for fun. So if you looked at Black Lives Matter. Sure. I don't want to go into detail on too many of these things. Yeah, it's a whole but, other podcast. But people are created after the image of God, right? We learn this right away in the beginning. God mm-hmm. created people after his image. Mm-hmm. So should we treat people with dignity and respect across the human race? Absolutely we should. 100%. Mm-hmm. That's biblical. Great. Uh, abortion. Should we take a human life? Well, if... God created people after his image. No, we shouldn't take a human life. Um, climate change. Are we supposed to be stewards of the earth? Absolutely, we're supposed to be stewards of the earth. Yep. The Bible says it right off the bat. Yep. Look after the earth. And so if my neighbor says, hey, what do you think of uh, looking after the earth more and being stewards? Yeah, that's a great idea. I agree mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nuance to all these things because there's politics involved and there's yeah, uh, you say, you know, all kinds yeah. of groups that fight against each other. But start with the Bible. The foundations. What's the, yeah. What's the, the basic foundation here? Yeah. yeah. And then the, you can start to yeah. think it through more. The tough part is, and maybe we have to explore this with people who, or, or somebody who's, who can give us, because there's kind of like an apologetic to arguing a certain, a certain issue. So like, I'm just thinking uh, Black Lives Matter. It's easy to say to somebody, uh, we believe that everyone's created in the image of God. 
Um, I value you as a person, as a human, because you were also created in the image of, image of God. And that's a very that's a very hard thing for anyone to argue uh, against. Um, I'm not sure anybody but, should argue against it. Of course. So and and there's like it's more like a political problem or, you know, systemic problem that they're trying to trying to solve. But with abortion, you're holding a stance that um, they uh, somebody who who would be you know pro-choice would say you're only holding because of the Bible, which is where it gets where it gets tough that you're defending something that. You know you should believe because it's in the Bible. Now, how do you go about doing that with, with say, logic or, you know, do you believe you're made in the image of God and, and then so is your child? And then you have to bring the science into it. And, and it's, a very, it's a very hard thing to, to navigate around, especially in a personal situation where, you know, the narrative of the day is, is this is fine. Don't question me. And so, especially for young people, like, that's, that's what we were hoping well, for. And Guido was like, how do, you, how do you go about somebody when your friend say is, is pregnant and is, is thinking about this and, and they come at it from the view of like, you know, this is how the world would, would view this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so, where it's helpful to look at the worldview. Right. The so other you, side. Can, you can have the Christian lens, but the, it's just like, it's just like what we would talk about in, in uh, a natural theology would be like, well, you just think that because of the Bible said. So now right, let's now right. come up with something rational, right? Well, I think that if people are serious about these issues, there is Christian philosophers and, and Christian theologians who are working on them mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that they've come up with a lot of good reasons to think that abortion is wrong mm-hmm. and uh, based on sanctity of life and, and things like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that if people are interested in these issues and not, uh, they should, they should look into it. They dig should, deeper. Yeah. Dig deeper. But yeah. from a Christian worldview, if you yeah. take somebody mm-hmm. and you say, Hey, go see what all the non-Christians are doing first. And they're um, a teenager and they're, you know, starting to learn more about themselves and grow more confident in their faith. And then they kind of abandon that and say, well, I'm going to go see what the atheists are doing for a while. That's not a great idea. Right. You want to be solid. Like, don't don't throw away. So Planning would talk about your noetic structure, right? He would say, if you have a noetic structure that's been built up over years, and unless you have this big reason to let go of it, don't let go of it. You have no reason to. Mm. So if you've brought up in, in a, 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 a Christian environment, you've been told it's true, you see the people around you who live it out uh, and, and they show the fruits of the spirit, don't abandon it. Dig deeper into it and get confident in your Christianity. Get confident mm. in the Christian worldview on these issues and then go off and say, okay, what are these other people saying? Yeah, right. Yeah. They'll yeah, be that much is more really, confident. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really good advice. Yeah. That's a wise way to look at it. Mm. Yeah, I guess maybe we should uh, probably wrap it up. Um, I had down here, do you, do you do you want to talk about like the biggest challenge for the faith going forward? Do you see any one big challenge? Because um, you laid out uh, well the the history of of kind of apologetics and and all the arguments for the faith and whatnot. Um, Are you and planning to get planning made only? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there won't be any other planning goes. So yeah, you got there's only one. <laughs> yeah, there's but only one. What's so planning goes? He's addressed yeah, a couple different challenges in, in his work, but what are what are the next ones? Well, I think you got to think about global Christianity, right? So um, there's challenges all over the world and they're all different. Okay. So if you go into uh, the Philippines, they were a colonized nation uh, through the Roman Catholic Church. And so they've got all kind. They 99% or 95% of the country would say they're Christians, yep. but they hold all kinds of different festivals and it's a lot of holidays. And is it really Christianity? Mm. So if you've got an issue there, how do you get the, the faith to them, the truth faith and get real converts? Indonesia, 95% Muslim. So they've got a completely different issue. South Korea, you've got a lot of mega churches. 
uh, and people who are all about the sort of the power and the prestige. So there's good things happening and there's challenges in every country. So if you want to just think about Christianity, there's all kinds of different challenges everywhere, depending on where you are. China, there's persecution. In the Middle East, there's persecution. We're a global church right. now, right? Christianity is moving away from the West and going to other places. So the West is not the church anymore, although mm. it used to be. So what's the challenge in the Western church? I think for young people, especially right now, social media, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, division, how to navigate this climate, I think, is a huge challenge mm. for young Christians. And they've got to be really careful about where they put their energy and their effort and their thoughts. Uh, and, 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 and it's just a matter of being discerning, right, and being self-controlled. Um, so that, that whole issue, I think, is huge right now in, in the West and has to be kind of looked after. And that's kind of on, a, on the ground level. Reading the Bible is another big thing. We just got to read our Bibles. Mm. Uh, God has created the universe. Look outside. Look at how beautiful it is. And then look at the evidence, if you need to, for the historicity of the Gospels. And then read them and say, these are real books. These guys really believed what happened. What do these books say? And read the Bible. Don't just mm -hmm. read it because your mom and dad said it's the word of God. That's fine that they did. It's good they did. Mm -hmm. But read it and believe it. And you're going to grow in your faith. So I think those are two practical things that that need to get um, mm -hmm. solved. And then I think the third one is science. How do you deal with science in the Bible? Mm -hmm. And that's on more of an academic level. Yeah. And theologians should be working on that. And Christian philosophers should be working on and thinking about we're making these scientific discoveries what does that mean and how trustworthy are they and how does that affect what the Bible says and just integrating those things. And I think it's totally possible. A lot of theologians are doing that yep. and that's just good work. I think that has to continue. Mm. For sure. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, man. Fantastic I, conversation. I can go another two hours on this stuff because this is like, <laughs> just as you're talking, rounding it up, I'm coming up with questions, but uh, yeah, we should really uh, wrap it up. You know? Yeah. This has definitely been real talk. Yeah. So you can no, get home good. before the snowstorm hits. Yeah, it's good stuff, but, guys. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for coming on. This is great. I'm Sounds sure people are going to have uh, things to say or things probably to look lots up of and, comments and questions. Definitely, I would think. And oh, yeah, that's great. everyone should go and and look at planning his work. And you can get down a rabbit hole of YouTube so fast that you know, <laughs> just make your head spin. <laughs> yes, so. you and read your Bible. Read and your read Bible. Your Bible. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot out there to help bolster your faith. So sounds good. Check yeah. YouTube, but read your Bible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Catch you next time, folks. All right, guys. Good stuff. Thanks Thank so much. You. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. You can send us your feedback by emailing us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on social media by looking for the handle Reformed Real Talk. You can find us online by going to realtalkpodcast.ca. We look forward to your feedback as that's what helps us grow and improve as podcasters. Real Talk is produced by myself, Lucas Holfleur, Tyler Vanderwood, and Tim Van Wunderberg. The theme music was created by Calvin Hutton. The table and cabinet behind me were made by Ethan Vanderwood of Eureka Woods. And finally, this sign in the studio was made by Zebra Signs. That's it for now, folks. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.